are in a series called Encounters, and what we are talking about is uh, life goes on as normal, and things go on as normal, and then Jesus shows up. And an encounter with Jesus changes everything. That's why we say stories of Jesus that changed everything. Before I was a pastor, as many of you know, I was in business and I would travel. And this was when my kids were very, very little. And so I was in technology uh, before. Uh, and uh, so I would go to these uh, tech conventions. And I would go to them during the dot-com boom. Not the dot-com bust, as we like to refer to it, but this was the boom. And so I would go to these conventions, and all these companies had money. More money than they knew what to do with. Now we've got Google, Apple, you know, Facebook. There, there's like, they've arisen up, you know, Cisco. They're up in, the, up in the stratosphere. But back then, people were doing IPOs all the time, and they just had lots of money. So I went to this convention called Macworld, which as you can imagine from my iPad, my iPhone, my laptop, and everything else around me, it was an Apple convention, okay? And so uh, our whole company ran on Apple devices, and so I would go there and learn as much as I can to try to make sure we were like right at the top technologically. So one year, I went and I put all my clothes in my backpack and I took a carry-on that had very little stuff in it. It was mostly empty. Because this year, I was going to bring back as much swag as I possibly could. So I end, I end the conference, right? Because we all love free stuff. I don't care if you're LeBron James. If I throw a t-shirt out, he's going to jump up and grab it, okay? This is just the way we are as human beings. There's nothing we can do about it. And so, um, so I, I, I go, and so I, we end the thing, and I have like four hours. It's in San Francisco in Moscone Center. So I decided I was going to walk down every aisle, back and forth, back and forth. If any of you have been to Moscone Center, it goes on for a long time. And my goal was to get a piece of swag from every booth, and fill up that suitcase. And so I did. I'm talking light-up balls. When you throw them, they light up. Little sticky things where you can grab paper off of the desk. Like every pen you could imagine, every T-shirt, everything. I shoved that into my carry-on. I had, so, it was busting out. And when I got home, my kids were in the routine of knowing that when I went on a business trip, I'd usually come back with something. And here's what they would do. They would feign love for me to get that out of the way, right? And so there'd be something like I'd come home and uh, they'd say, Daddy, Daddy, we missed you. And then they'd look, glance down at the suitcase. What? Like, Would you like me to get your suitcase, Daddy? Like, wow. No, I got it. Clutching onto the booty that I had inside, right? And so... This whole thing's packed full, and uh, they would, you know, bring up, oh, how was your trip? You know, did you see anything interesting? Did you get anything for yourself, right? Because they love dad. What they didn't realize, because you can't as a kid, is the fact that I came back, <laughs> that I came home, was actually a big deal, they would never have known that, that actually my presence there was more important than those trinkets, right? Now, we know that as adults, and we know that kids are focused on the little shiny thing, and that's what immaturity is. We're focused on the little thing. 
But as adults, we know if you have both parents in the house, or you, maybe you're a single mom or a single dad, and you come home, and they just want something, or let's go to this, I want this for dinner, this, that, I want that, you know just me being here is the most important thing. They don't learn that until later. Well, we're going to look at a story where the people wanted trinkets. And if you're a Christian, and you've been a Christian for a long time, uh, buckle up, because I got some strong words. If you're not a Christian, or you're new to the Bible or whatever, you get to go, ha, ha. Okay, so that's your thing you get to do. Here's what happens. Jesus is down. We saw him overturn the, the tables at the temple. And, uh, and so we talked about this idea that uh, our bodies are the temple, that our lives are meant to house the Spirit of God, to walk in intimacy with God, that every place we go, every place, every meeting, every event, every restaurant, it's as though Jesus were showing up there. And sometimes, at least in my own life, Jesus needs to come into that temple and go, hey, this is supposed to be a house of prayer. I don't know what you're doing. And he overturns the temple, uh, overturns the tables. That's what we talked about last week. And so what happens is Jesus is in the southern part of Israel, in Jerusalem. He goes 100 miles north, gets on a boat, goes on the Sea of Galilee to the northernmost part, and he ends up in this Galilean area, which is poor. Okay, so he goes from the temple and the Passover and all this and all this gala and all these people, and, and he goes to the, the poor in Galilee. Here's where we find him. After these things, so they're talking about some miracles that Jesus is doing. John, John is. After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the sea, Galilee, or Tiberias. I love the Bible. You guys got to read your Bible. It's awesome. What John, what's happened here is John is writing a gospel way later. This is the, it's the fourth gospel in the New Testament, but it was also the fourth written. Paul was dead by this time. Uh, Peter was probably dead by this time. And so it was almost like, we don't know for sure, but it was almost like people said, John, you got to get, you know, we've read these other gospels. You got to get your stories down in there too. People need to hear this. And so the, the audience that you'll, if you read John, the audience that he's writing to, he has to explain a lot of things. Like, so it would be like if I said, hey, I went to Modesto and, or whatever, and you're like, where's that? And I'm like, the Bay Area. And you're like, oh, okay, the Bay Area. That's kind of like this is, other side of the Sea of Galilee or Tiberias. And so the reader would go, oh, sweet, I know exactly what you're talking about. A large crowd followed him, uh-oh, because they saw the signs he was performing on those who were sick. So already, John is beginning to give you an idea that these crowds are after something. These crowds are interested in some things that Jesus is doing. And so he says he's performing on those who are sick. Then Jesus went up to the mountain, okay? And there he sat down with his disciples. And then here's what John says. And this is really cool. Now the Passover, and then John to his writers goes, the Feast of the Jews, right? So we all know what that is, but his readers wouldn't have known, or maybe they needed to be reminded. Again, the Bible is very specific. It's very clear, and it's, it's, it's written for us to understand. It's not, there's no mystery in any of this. Now, the Passover, the Feast of the Jews was near. Okay, here we go. Therefore, Jesus, lifting up his eyes, seeing that large crowd was coming to him, 
says to Philip. Okay, now just real quick, you can obviously see it here, but uh, this is the feeding of the 5,000. This, this and the resurrection are the only two instances of it being covered in all four Gospels. So this is a very important story to John. Even though John knew Mark and Matthew, which are really close, uh, and Luke uh, covered it, he's covering it. And he covers some things that aren't in those other ones, which means that you have to pay attention to what's different, not, not contrary, but different from those other Gospels. And so here's what Jesus... So Philip grew up in this area, in this area of Galilee, in this poor area of Galilee. So I want you to just get, the, get this idea. If you think Jesus is very stoic all the time and he doesn't mess with people, um, he does. So here's what he says to Philip, right? So he's sitting there. He looks over Philip and he goes, Hey, uh, Philip, you're, you're from here. Where's a Costco? That would be about the, what he's saying here. Philip, where are the, where are the, you got a bunch of restaurants and little shops and stuff around here. Like, where, where, where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? Where's a Costco? Now, like you and I, Philip would be like, <laughs> like, if, like if Jesus were here and 5,000 people showed up and he goes, hey, John, where's a Costco? I'd be like, first of all, Jesus, Costco's of the devil. We don't go there because they, not only is it crowded, but then they put food at the end of the aisles so that people just crowd into all that stuff. We're not going to Costco. That's the rebuttal I would give. Here's the rebuttal Philip gives. He was saying this, right, to test him. Listen to this. For he himself knew what he was intending to do. And Philip answers just like you and I would answer. It would take more than half a year's wages. Jesus, we don't even care if there's 10 Costco's, if there's restaurants everywhere. That's not even the point, Jesus. Is there even enough food, which I don't even think there is in this area, but let's just say there was. It would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. It would be like if I came here with a little protein bar, and I'm like, I tell Ray, hey, Ray, how am I going to feed all these people? I, I got a little protein bar for it to, to, to do it. If you look at the different Gospels, uh, there's a couple really interesting things in Luke and Matthew. Uh, when Jesus sees the crowd in this particular case, it says he saw them as helpless, as sheep without a shepherd. He deeply cares for this crowd of 5,000 people. So he's not just making a joke. And so Peter says this. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, here's, here's a kid, right, whose mom packed him a lunch. Let's steal his lunch, is essentially what they say. Here's a lad who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are we going to do with that? What are we going to do with that? Now, like the fact that John mentions their barley loaves, which was bread for the poor, so it was, it was even poor person's bread. It wasn't even like bread. It was just the lowest. So this kid, this little kid, his mom packs him a lunch. He's got a Spider-Man lunchbox. Shows up. 
Andrew's like, hey, what's in that lunchbox, kid? Maybe it's a Moses lunchbox. Okay, okay, there we go. It's a Moses lunchbox. And so they go and they open it up and there it is. And it's like, that's all all we we have. Now, if they're like me, uh, I would be like, well, look, if this kid brought lunch, then everybody should have lunch, right? Like, Jesus, don't worry about it. It's fine. You know, there's nothing that we're going to do. And actually, some scholars uh, who are you know, try to make excuses for all this stuff, say that people were hiding all their food and they didn't want anyone else to see. And then when the kid brought his out, then everybody brought theirs out. (laughs) That's just tough uh, to, yeah, good luck with that. Uh, It just isn't in the text. There's a lad who has five barley loaves and two fish, but, but what are these for so many people? In the scriptures, it also says in the other gospels, it says this, Um, they come with the problem This is all we have. And then in the other Gospels, they come with a solution. You know what their solution is? Send them away. Their solution is the same solution I have. I don't have enough, God, for this situation. Just make it stop. Send it away. Just pretend it isn't there. Lord, you know I have no patience for my boss. You understand this. Just send them away. Get them out of here. Make it stop. Lord, you know these neighbors I have, they're always playing loud music. They're always, just send them away. Just, I don't care what happens to them. I hope they win the lottery. Just send them away. Let me just start out with this real quick, just so we're all on the same page, whether you're watching online or you're here right now. You'll never have enough, and Jesus probably won't send it away. That's the reality of being a follower of Jesus. You never have enough, and Jesus is probably not going to send your problem away. Because it's in the realization of that problem and in the navigating of your journey of life, you press in to him. He doesn't come with trinkets. He comes with himself. He doesn't come to solve the problem. He is the solution to every problem. You never have enough to figure it out. And he's not going to send it away. Sometimes he does, and it's a miracle. We thank him for that. That is not our expectation as followers of Jesus. There is a lad who has five barley loaves. He said, have the people sit down. And this is so cool what John says. Because the people reading this would have been like, sit down in the wilderness? And so John writes, there was plenty of grass in that place. (laughs) Like, stop thinking about the people sitting on grass. They're all fine. Let's get back to the story. I just... I don't know. What do I say every week, right? Read your Bible. It's really awesome. And slow down when you read it. There's all these great things. So there's plenty of grass in that place. And they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. This 5,000 is really important, especially in the context of the Gospels. 5,000 was a Roman legion in their army. That would be one of their big sets of troops. Now, we say men, and so you can get all upset. Like, what about the women, all that stuff? Fine. That's totally fine. It was more than that because the Gospels tell us that there were women and children there. But that's not the point. And the point isn't that men are better than women. The point is that Jesus has enough for an army. Jesus has a legion of men. Ooh, so you think about this. It's the Passover, very patriotic event right now. The Passover represented that they were enslaved to Egypt, and at the Passover, they were released from Egypt 
into the desert to take the promised land, which is where they are now. Then the Romans take it. Well, there's a bunch of stuff that happened. But now the Romans are in charge. But it's the Passover. And there's a sense of we're in an we're, our land's being occupied. We got 5,000 right here. And guess what? We don't see it yet. Well, let's go see what happens. All right. So they sit down. There's about 5,000 men there. Jesus then took the loaves, listen to this, and gave thanks. He gave thanks when there was not enough. He gave thanks before it happened. He lived in this realm of total dependence on his heavenly father. Total dependence. I, I don't know what happens when he goes to pray alone or whatever. I don't know what happened in this situation. But at some point, God the Father greenlit this miracle. Jesus looks up and he sees all the people. And something, his heavenly Father tells him, we can feed them. Let's do it. Right? So Jesus then says to Philip, hey, because he already knew, well, where are we going to go to Costco? Okay, so enough of that. They were seated. Uh, he gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. Now, John doesn't do this particular section justice because what is described in the other um, gospels is exactly what happens to us, Christian, of what's supposed to happen when we receive something from Jesus. It is not Jesus shows up with a suitcase full of fun little things. Okay, just bear with me. And we just show up and play. And everything has to be right. The song has to be right. The sermon can't be too long. The air conditioning has to be right. Blah, blah, blah. Now, again, I'm not talking to Living Spring people. I'm talking to those from other churches who'll watch this later. You would never say this because you're amazingly mature Christians. But I have heard that there are Christians out there in other churches, not you guys, that get caught up in the trinkets. And so the other gospels, what they say, it's so amazing. Jesus has them sit down in groups of 50. And he gives the disciples, here you go, here's your basket, and here's your little bit of loaves. And they turn their back on Jesus, and they take what Jesus gave them, and they begin to pass it out. And I've mentioned this many, I've probably preached this particular this story maybe six times here. I say the same thing over and over again. They take what Jesus gave them. The first time they go out, it is risky. They go to the first group of 50. They look what's in their basket. They look at what the 50 people, and they go, hey, you, you just grab a little bit, okay? I mean, this has to go with all 50 people. And so they grab a little bit, and then they look down. They still have enough. And so they just kind of keep going. They keep going. Then their basket's empty, and they turn around. It says in the Bible, they go back to Jesus, and he keeps filling their baskets. Now, all I, all I know is human nature, and I know myself. By the fourth group that I had to give food to, I'm throwing stuff at him. I'm like, Jesus can take care of all. Like, it doesn't matter. Take as much as you want. I'd be like, woo! You know, like, like it didn't matter. Because I know when I turn around, listen. When I give away all that I have, and I turn around, 
I'm turning around to a Messiah that is giving me these things, not from myself, but to give out. I get forgiveness from Jesus. Why? To forgive. I get mercy from Jesus. Why? To show mercy. These are not trinkets that Jesus has when you accept Christ and you enter in that relationship with him. It begins this process of filling and emptying, filling and emptying, filling and emptying. That is what mature Christianity looks like. What it does not look like is, hey, what kind of bread is this? Jesus, what you got? Do you have a basket that's on wheels? Because I'm, I'm at the like fifth one back there and it's like a, oh, I don't know. Do you have, can you make it a little easier? Can you make it a little better? Do you have any butter? Because it, it, after a while, the, it, the barley, it gets dry. Do you have? Uh-uh. That's not the calling to follow Jesus. It's not to create the perfect environment. Again, it's not to create the perfect environment for us to feel right. Is feeling a part of following Jesus? Absolutely. We have every emotion that's not the point. The point isn't light up balls and sticky things. It's Jesus. It's the person of Jesus. And so they go, they go out and they distribute what Jesus has given them. They distribute forgiveness. They distribute mercy. They distribute justice. They distribute love. And they go back to Jesus and say, can I have some more? There's still more people that need it. Not once in the scriptures are you going to read that the idea of following Jesus is to, you just you made it. You, fought, you, you joined the team. Now your job starts when you join the team. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them up. They filled 12 baskets with fragments from five barley loaves to which... Um, that were left over by those who had eaten. Okay. Therefore, when the people saw the sign, oh boy, here we go, that he had performed, they said, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. There, it's the Passover. They are thinking about Moses and manna. They are thinking about, man, if this dude gets in charge, if we can elect him, or take, put him into office to make him king, do you realize all our problems will be solved? <laughs> so Jesus, perceiving they were intending to come and take him by force to make him king, said, I am out of here. That is not why I'm here. And he goes again to a mountain by himself alone. Now, I'm going to skip some verses um, because uh, he sends the disciples out in the boat. There's a storm. You can read all about it, okay? It's a great story, and it's sandwiched into this thing. And the reason John puts these together is to show the full kingship of Jesus all the way along. Remember, he turned the water into wine. He heals people. He overturns the temple. This is authority, authority, authority. He now has authority over the elements. He can make bread appear out of bread and fish appear out of fish. He can calm the storm, right? They bow down. They're like, what? What kind of dude is this that could even calm the storm? And so we fast forward from that. And so 
the crowd, because they got their fill and it felt good and they're all excited about the, about the nation of Israel finally getting rid of the Romans and everything's going to be back to just where it's calm and comfortable. So they follow Jesus and they do exactly like my kids when I come home with, some, with a suitcase full of toys. They found him on the other side. This is so awesome. And they said, um, hey, Rabbi, when did you get here? As though they weren't trying to fight, like they were just sitting there like, whoa, Jesus. Hey, Dad, whoa, you have a suitcase. I'm glad you're home. What, what, what's going on? They try to just, you know, kind of put it along like they were just sitting there the whole time, all 5,000 of them, just wandering together. This is what we do on a Tuesday. You know, we just, all 5,000 of us just go around. They were going to see Jesus. As a matter of fact, Jesus says this in the next verse. He answered them and said, truly, truly. In other words, this is a fact. I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs. Oh, boy. But because you ate of the loaves and were filled. And that is is not what we're called to as followers of Jesus. Walking week to week, just filling our stomachs, filling our minds, getting what we can. Consumers never change the world. Consumers never change the world. And Jesus has called us to change the world. Jesus has called us to change our world, our circle of influence. Jesus hasn't called us to be concerned about things we can't affect. He's called us to change our world, to be the husband, to be the wife, to be the son, to be the daughter, to be the aunt and uncle, to be the teacher, to be the boss that God has called you to be. And oftentimes it is uncomfortable. Oftentimes it is difficult. And yet our culture tells us Consume, 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 consume. How many stars? How many stars? Two and a half stars. Mm. Three stars. Oh, five stars. Jesus never called us to yelp Christianity, to just consume. Consumers never change the world. They just consume. And they get entitled. And they get lazy. Because you ate the loaves and were filled. Jesus just hits it right on the head. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life. This relationship with Jesus that we have right now, this eternity that we're experiencing right now. When we die from here, we spend eternity with Jesus. And that is great news. But he has things for us to do now. And it's not consumed. We consume to be nourished so that we can give, that we can work. But for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him the Father God has set his seal. Now, this is what's happening with Jesus right now. He does this miracle. He feeds the 5,000. It's like a legion. It's like an army. And they're like, sweet, I know exactly what's happening. We'll make him king. We'll get rid of the Romans. And Jesus is like, I'm gone. He, takes, he puts the disciples in a boat. He 
goes up to the mountain to pray. He comes back, and here they are. And he goes, you know what? I have to nip this in the bud right now. Because if he wanted to, he could have told the 5,000, I'll tell you what. It's a 100-mile journey from where we are to Jerusalem. We're going to stop in every single village, and we're going to recruit men to fight. And we're going to end up in Jerusalem. We're going to get rid of the Romans. And he could have done it easily. But he wants to nip it in the bud. So he, he starts talking. He says, therefore, they said to him, what shall we do that we could do the works of God? Again, they're not talking about feeding the 5,000. They're talking about the works of God. Let's go. Let's go. Let's start an army. Jesus answered to them and said, this is the work of God. Uh-oh, that you believe in him who he has sent. Him coming back from the trip is the important part, not the trinkets. <laughs> He's the goal. He's the gift. He's the one. They said to him, <laughs> what then do you do for a sign? Again, it's all about food with these people right now. I get it. I, I get it. My wife makes bread, and it's like candy. So I'm all about bread. What then do you do for a sign? Now watch this. He's, they're, they're, what, what do you perform? You know, our fathers ate manna. Maybe you could do some type of a bread thing like you did just a little while ago. For it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, again, truly, truly words, I say to you, it is not Moses who had given you the bread out of heaven, but it's my father. I'm just here to do my father's will, who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven. You could almost see him going, for the bread of God is that which comes out of heaven, like waiting for them to come to the conclusion, and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, ah, oh, yeah, give us that bread. He said to them, here we are. I am the bread of life. I'm the gift. I'm the important thing. I'm the thing that provides. Forget about the trinkets. Forget about comfort. Forget about consumption. Forget about it all being just perfect. With the perfect this and the perfect that and the correct translation of the Bible, good night. It's him. I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. And he who believes in me will never thirst. This goes back to the woman at the well that was in uh, chapters prior. So then he goes on and he goes on and he goes on. And we're going to be taking communion in just a second. And if you're watching online and you want to quickly run to a cupboard and grab a solid and a liquid, that'd be great. Uh, but he goes on and on and he, and he doubles down and he doubles down and he doubles down. And he begins to say, look, I'm the bread of life. You need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. In other words, I'm the gift. I'm it. We skip some verses because that, that's all a discourse of Jesus, and I encourage you to read it. It's very indicting. Okay, it's very revealing of what he would have us do. Then the Jews began to argue with one another, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? In other words, where's the, where's the bread? 
and the fish. So Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. It says right after that, that people were like, yeah, I'm out. I'm gone. This isn't it. As a matter of fact, this is the section of scripture where he goes along and he says to the disciples, essentially, all these people leave and he turns to them and he's like, what about you guys? What do you, what do you think? You know, he says, he says, they say, where are we going to go? You have the words to eternal life. It would be like my kids going, well, yeah, forget about the trinkets. What, like, yeah, we want you to be home. They understand that. This is the conclusion the disciples come to. As the worship band returns, I want to end with some, how John ends his book. Next week, we'll be talking about the triumphal entry. Again, these people forget so quickly that Jesus wasn't there to be a political figure. He wasn't there to make their lives comfortable and right the way they thought. He was there to forgive them of their sins, to re-center the sacrificial system around himself. Here's what John says. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. He also says that if he had to record everything that Jesus did, there's not even enough books on the planet. You know, you could, there's not enough room to hold all the books that had, would have been written by that. Because what John's getting to the conclusion is, it's not about the signs. It's not about what Jesus performed. It's about Jesus but these are written so that you may believe in the, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. No more trinkets. No more comfort. It's going to Jesus going, God, I don't have enough. Send them away. And Jesus says, no, 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 you feed them. This is all I got, Jesus. This is all. I, I, I accepted you as my Savior. I asked you to forgive my sins, and I, I want to spend eternity with you, and that's all sealed. Great. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I need you to turn around and head back into the world with what I've blessed you with. When it's empty, I want you to come back. I want you to repeat that over and over and over again. Because you believe, I want you to act in a way that you believe so that they would believe. We're going to uh, take communion. And um, what we do here is we uh, open up each uh, side. And we just, you can just come when you're ready. Some people will take communion back to their seat. Others will kneel at the altar and just kind of take a separate time where they're just focused on taking communion, that's all fine. It's completely open. Uh, the worship band is going to sing a song while we do that. But Jesus' message is clear. This is just a reminder of the grounding of what we're called to as followers of Jesus, that we're all in. And so maybe you've never taken communion before. You've never even accepted Jesus. And you say, you know what? I think this is a time where I, I'm ready to be all in. 
that you can participate with us. Maybe there's still some questions and you're like, oh, I don't really know. That's fine. It's an open table. The idea is that we again commit that on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. Just like with the 5,000, he gave thanks. He said, this is my body, which has been broken for you. Whenever you take and eat of this, remember me. And in the same way, he took the cup and he gave thanks. He said, this is my blood, which has been poured out for the remission of sins. Whenever you take and drink of this, remember it's Jesus that we follow. Lord God, thank you so much for not only the example of provision, Lord, we look to you for our provision. Lord, that you're the example of healing. We look to you for healing. That you're the example of restoration. We look to you for restoration. You're the example of forgiveness. We look to you for forgiveness. But ultimately, Lord God, we look to you as rabbi, as our king, as the one for whom we lay down everything. Lord, as we take communion together. But we do this as just another reminder that we are to consume you so that we can then go and be a light, be salt, to be a difference, to affect our world. can, want you to stand for the blessing. Now in the name of the Father, who loves you and sent his only Son to die for your sins. In the name of the Son, who humbled himself to the point of death, because he loves you. In the name of the Spirit, with which you go this week. May you walk in his blessing, in his strength, in his joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week, and we will see you next Sunday.